Limitless Wrestling fans, we're here with another edition, our first of 2021 of the Limitless Wrestling Podcast. No John Alba here today, Randy Carver, uh, going to head things today, and uh, we're going to do something that we said at the end of 2020, we're going to implement more here on the podcast moving forward in 2021. We're going to kick off with an interview here today, and specifically one that I'm very excited for because we're going to take a look back at the uh, overall terrible and horrendous year that was 2020, and uh, unfortunately, some of the losses that we did have in the year within the main wrestling scene. And it's it's people who uh, we may not have spoken about too much here on the podcast, uh, some who didn't have a ton of involvement in Limitless Wrestling, but uh, for me and the guests that I have here today, uh, much more than just people who uh, we may have shared a locker room with or a drive with, they were uh, good friends, comrades, and people who were, uh, in my opinion, and I'm sure his, very important to the main wrestling scene and uh, everything that really has led up to main wrestling uh, being what it is now. And uh, I'm here with the the former owner, the founder of Independent Wrestling Entertainment, uh, has been wrestling in the main wrestling scene how many years now? 17. 17 years. Uh, 17 this month. Actually. 17 this month as yeah. we tape here in January. Uh, he's undefeated on the road. Mains Mutant Mastodon, Brewer Bulldozer, Eric Johnson. How you doing today? Uh, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm happy that we're in a whole nother year. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah. I'm hopeful Oof. this one's a lot better. Uh, Got to keep looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. Yep. Uh, sure. T- today, we're going to talk about three people uh, that we lost in 2020. Uh, I think it's it's kind of ironic that we sit here in the Limitless Dojo and talk about this because this is unfortunately like where uh, we shared a lot of this news with each other and we were, we were together for a few of them. It's sad, but it's very true. Yeah, that a lot of the, when we found out about a lot of this stuff, we were actually right here in this exact same spot. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but I want this podcast to be uh, not a somber tone. I think we've uh, we've said a lot of the things that we've needed to say on whether it's posts or, or previous podcasts. I want this one to be uh, more telling their stories because it's something that we haven't been able to do. And I think uh, who better than you, who has literally had you know, shared a driver's seat with these guys beginning their wrestling journey here in the state of Maine. Uh, I want to start with the captain, who uh, a Maine wrestling personality. Uh, everybody loved the captain. He was the former executive director for IWE for you for a number of years. But I want to rewind. I want to, I want to start back at when you first met the captain. How did that interaction come about? Who introduced you guys? And uh, how did he become part of the IWE family? Because to my recollection, uh, he was he was a security guard for a long time before actually uh, right, stepping yeah. into an on camera role. Yeah, he uh, he started off as uh, well. He started off as a fan first, right? Um, he, and he used to paint up his face and come and he used to have a great time. Dude, he was Captain Juggalo. Too. Yeah, that's that's what he <laughs> yeah. that's what he went. He by. would paint up every show. He would come. He'd paint up. Um, he started becoming a security guard because of uh, Big Tom, uh, Brutus. Yeah, Big Bad Brutus. Brutus, because uh, Brutus was doing security for me at the time, and, he, and I needed more security, and he referenced to the captain. So Brutus came first. Yes. The, okay. Yes. Brutus came first. Uh, he referenced the, me to the captain. 
who had been coming to the shows anyway. He was having a good old time. And, uh, you know, Captain was a big guy. And I was like, you know, you mind right, being a security? I was sitting here just making sure, you know, no one gets in the ring. No one throws anything at the ring. You know, that type of stuff. He was down. He had no problem with it. He uh, he liked it. He said he even got a better clip. He had a closer seat to the to all the action. He had the best seat in the house. <laughs> yeah, right on the so, corner. Right on the corner. Um, so after, oh, geez. After about a year, I want to say. So that had to be early 2009, yeah. right? Is that is that fair? I would say so. Um, my brain's a little mush these days when it comes to time frame. I, I would say this would be, I wouldn't say early 2009. I would say more mid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like mid 2009. But uh, if, I, if my time rhyme, my time frame's correct here. Um, but he started as a security guard. And then from there, what had happened was, is I, as many, many people knew, as you know, I was the owner of Ida B for since the beginning. Yeah. So after many years, I was like, I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to be the guy that's the guy, you know, that runs the shows. I don't want to be that. I just want to go in there and wrestle. Yeah. That's what I want to do. Because I feel like that could create an awkward yeah, position I, sometimes, especially I mean, when you're trying to put together stories. Exactly. Because then you get people talking to you that are like, I mean, I, I always didn't mind suggestions and stuff from people, but I had people in my ear all the time. And I was just like, no, I need... I need a new a new face, essentially, to be the yeah. face of the company. And everybody knew Captain. Everybody loved Captain. He was a good guy, and he was friendly with everybody. He was he was there to have a good time. So I approached him about it. I said, "Hey, I have this idea. Let me bounce it off of you real quick, and let me know what you think." And that was that he take over as the executive director. For the IWE, and of course he loved the idea. Oh yeah, he got all dressed <laughs> up, had nice clothes, every, the whole nine yards, and he took the ball and ran with it for many, many years. And uh, he was the proverbial face of the company now. And I, this way, I could go and just wrestle. So, up to that point, he had been a security guard. Um, him and Brutus were fixtures, I would say, at IWE right. events. Had he done anything? either involved with the show other than security? Had he been in the ring at all? Is there, Had he had any experience beyond just being security and being part of the crew? Uh, he told me he did, but I, I, he, I couldn't find anything about it. So I didn't really... I didn't mind him doing a couple spots here and there. I didn't really want him to get hurt or nothing, you know? Right. I'm big about the safety stuff. At the time, though, um, Brutus was training to be a wrestler, and he was... Uh, if you remember, he was managing... Um, Johnny Primer for a little while. Yeah. That, yeah. So when he was managing, he would always show up. They'd always show up together. So he was always there for all the training classes and watching. So I'm sure after a while, you know, when you watch stuff, you can kind of pick it up. Yeah. And he was there for all this. He'd be there early, early because he'd want to hang out with everybody, say hi to everybody. And he'd be there and he'd watch the training sessions. So I'm sure he picked up a few things and he did have a couple of, uh, I guess you could call them matches, but he really didn't do oh, a I lot call of them. Matches. <laughs> I call them matches. <laughs> He didn't do a lot, but he'd come in, he'd get his few kicks in, and yeah, he did. Uh, and that's he knew he knew what a spot was, and he went for it. That's know? that's the thing is like uh, I feel especially in the early days of the executive director role, I, I feel like he knew exactly what his spot was and would nail it. And yes, he was the kind of person because he was a character that <clears> he was everybody loved or hated depending on the time frame. He was uh, <laughs> beloved really, especially IWE and Brewer, which uh, I really even though he's not from here, I equate that to his That's home his area. Home, yeah, for sure. He lived in Brewer uh, the entire duration of me knowing him and uh, I feel like he was always one of those people where cuz we would uh, 
we would tape a lot of the previews, like locally around here. We'd pick out like different scenic spots and tape like the show previews right, that we do right. on YouTube. He announced the matches and stuff. And uh, that, like, he did. He he was a killer at that. He usually it would be a one you know a one take set, and we'd just knock them out one by one by one. And uh, when he when he really had an idea of and a, and a feel for what he was doing, I think he he really excelled in roles like that. Um, yeah. I want to talk about those little matches. What uh, do, you, <laughs> do you remember? And I remember a few of them. Do you um, remember the first the first step in getting him in the in the IWE ring? I think the first time he there was a, there was a couple times that stick out in my brain uh, for, for when he got in the ring. Um, one of them wasn't a wrestling match; it was the boxing match that he had with Ryan Michaels Colson. You remember that? Oh, of okay. So he <laughs> he he. Cat and wanted to have gear. See, he was wearing my old. If you remember, he was wearing my old gear. The disco tights. Yeah, yeah <laughs> he was wearing my old gear. Purple he bought boxing gloves specifically for this match. Yep. This boxing thing with, and uh, he went in there, and I just <laughs> he. I just remember how he was just sweating so much that I was like, maybe you should have just wore some shorts. <laughs> <laughs> like, cause like, he was all geared up and ready to go and. He went, he went in there, they went a couple rounds at Ryan Michaels Colson. He, he came out on top. Um, the other moment I remember, I'm not sure if you remember this one, is when he was a surprise entrant in the King of New England Royal Rumble. I do. It was when Big Gene, uh, Big Gene Giroux was number one and had gone through everybody. Yeah. And he was, and then one big surprise, like, remember Gene was, I think it was about halfway through the, the, the Rumble at this point. And Gene was tired. I could tell. You could tell. He's like, you know, he's gone through. Because there used to be 30 people in it back then. Right. So he, he's halfway through. And then Captain's music hits. And he comes out. Gene turns around. Takes a big clothesline from the Captain. Captain does a bunch of clotheslines to him. Tries to dump him out. Gene slides back in. Captain doesn't see him. Gets dumped by the yep. Gene. And I just remember <laughs> the big pop. Because Captain came in. He was doing these big lines. And Captain was all fired up. He's like, Whoa. Like he was oh. like biggest biggest smile on his face. He <laughs> loved to do uh, any anything physical was really right up his alley. Which I, I started to realize like when I got the chance to kind of work with him more behind the scenes of IWE. He really um, it, we, we did the captain's corner stuff. I remember yeah. a lot of fun uh, that we did with Crash Landing and Joseph Primer. Um, and there would be just he, he kind of had an energy about him, especially with the bad guys mm-hmm. that um, he could talk what he, what he said resonated. And if you put him in a ring with a live microphone, uh, especially with a with a bad guy to feed off of, uh, it, it was probably going to be a pretty good segment, especially he, he would uh, not always open the show, but it'd be very early in the show usually. And it would be, be kind of something that would set the tone for the night. You know, it would keep right. people loose. It would keep it easy. Uh, and I, I always just uh, appreciated that about someone who could come in and just take the crowd, you know, have, yeah. them, have them in the palm of your hands. Well, he could. Uh, he always did the the pivotal like uh, the pivotal moment things too, like um, like Ron when Robbie Ellis um, won the title from Ricky Williams. It was the first ever time Robbie Ellis won the any heavyweight championship in the state of Maine in now, his whole career. That's crazy. Captain came up there, and they did. He did. He got right up. He got right up on the apron. Did the promo. Set it up perfectly. Yep. To lead into Robbie Ellis in street clothes, beating Ricky Williams huge for the title. Moment. Huge, huge moment. moment. And he got the boys to come out from the back. And then we all celebrated with Robbie. And Cap was really, he knew how to really lead the crowd and lead the situation when he was in there. He, yep. had, a lot, he had a lot of natural charisma, 
which was just him. It was him being himself. Right. Which was great because it just it, it flowed easy for him. It's um, very. It's which very is why later on when he stopped being the executive director because he didn't want to do it anymore. You know, he wanted to step away. He came back later as a member as an interviewer for yeah. when we had our second run of IWT, IW, uh, IWTV on Fox. Yeah. He came back as an interviewer. He had his on deck with the captain yep. set. Yep. That was set. Cool. Yeah. And he would always interview people. Like the first first episode back, first thing we had, he was doing it on deck. And it was with a Crash Landing. Yep. Right before he got killed by Wrecking Ball Ligurski. <laughs> <laughs> so like first thing on the episode, on deck with the captain. So I, I want to. We're jumping all around, but I like that. Um, it what, just feels right. Yeah. <clears throat> what um, you mentioned when IWE TV came back, and I, that was, I believe, 2016 area because I was not there at that point. Right. You had just um, started doing your own stuff in Orno. Yeah, and uh, I think what what led to that transition for Captain from the executive director to the interview role because I, I know we did the. Uh, I'm jumping ahead because I do want to touch on Clash for Corbin too before sure, we miss that. But of um, yeah. what led to this transition? Because uh, I remember we did the, I think not too long after the Clash for Corbin stuff, yep. within a year, I think we did the Bond Voyage for the captain. Yes. And the, he was done for a little while. Yeah, he, I, what I think was, is, um, I know he was going through a lot of physical stuff too for a while there. Yeah. He was on a pain a lot of the time. It was, he had yeah. a taxing time. Yeah. So, and you could tell, because you could tell sometimes he'd be sitting there and he'd be heavy breathing and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't feeling good and he had a hard time standing up because his legs were hurting. Um, so I understood, you know, he told me he wanted to step away. Um, and luck, thankfully, he, he didn't just do it on his own accord. He told me in enough time. Like he gave me, he told me, like it was like, uh, it was like halfway through a month, and he told me hey, he's thinking about getting done. And da, da, da. He gave you time to plan for something. And so he let me plan it. I said, "Oh, let's put you out on a high note, man. Let's, yeah. let's send you off the right way." And I'm happy we did because now we can look back on that video, which is still on YouTube. To this yes, day, which um, is great. There's a lot for anyone looking. Like there's, uh, there's. I, I'm stoked, and this is this is a credit to you back in the day for uh, giving us the leeway to kind of do something with a YouTube at that point because yeah. I, like. It was real, like, Captain was a big pushing factor, just like we talked about the other night with that fucking flip cam. Uh, <laughs> I want to tell that real the quick. The story of the flip cam. Because that that just, that was very, it made me smile, and it made me smile thinking about it today. Uh, we were just sitting here shooting the shit the other night, and I looked, and you had a, one of those old white square flip cams with you the other night. And I, I popped because I'm like, oh, I, you know, I... I used to shoot it, all the promos on that, and I got I got my first one from Captain. And you, before I had even said anything, uh, you had told me that you had yours because you used to have a competition with the Captain. <laughs> yeah, of collecting and who those. Have, who can have the most flip cams? I oh, he had about six of them at one point, and that's after I sold him mine. Yeah, but so we, I remember I'd gotten a couple. Uh, um, from people I knew, but I also got some because back then, you know, you could find those like j the diamonds in the rough, so to speak, if yep. you went to Goodwill and you would get in there on a good day and they would have all the really good stuff that yeah. no one had picked through or gotten, you know, bought quick. So I got a couple foot games that way, but Captain and I had a competition to see who could have the, who could have the most, and eventually. 
we both, I think we both evened out about three, and then I, I was like, oh, I'm never going to use these, so I sold them mine, and and then ironically, I think when I sold him mine, I think it's when he sold him, he sold one of his to you. Yeah. He so he probably kept first. the ones he wanted, and like, it's like, I'm going to sell this one to Randy. Yeah. <laughs> gave me my first one, I bought another one off him, because he literally had a drawer in his, uh, in his little desk, like where his computer was. You, you know, open the drawer... And yes. there were a few promiscuous things, and then yeah. it was a, a ton of flip cams like, <laughs> yes. in a line with batteries. And I'm yes. like, holy fuck. They, oh, they would eat batteries. But they were all for different things. Like, yeah. one was wrestling specific, and it was, uh, I, I love those little fuckers. That's what we. Well, they we could take, take a beating, too. You could drop them, and they'd still be fine. Oh, out. yes, you could <laughs> drop them because. Um, Remind me of the old Nokia phones that were like the brick Nokia phones. Yeah. You could throw them against the wall and they still work fine afterwards. Dude. Yeah, that's how the flip cam you could drop it. Up, oh, it's fine. It was great as long as you didn't break the lens. You're good to go. Um, <laughs> so. But yeah, uh, check out the IWE YouTube page because there is a ton of stuff yeah. of the captain. It's, uh, it's still IWE main, I think. I believe so. Yeah, and, you, and there's a bunch of that him making matches yep. promos, um, and uh, and that bottom the, the last. The last voyage of the captains yep. on there, which was his send off when he left. He did a he, he announced at the, be- at the beginning of the night on um, that night that he was that he was leaving, and then at the end of the night he did his farewell when he left. It's a very emotional night because I don't think uh, I think a lot of people thought it was a work or an angle of some sort when it was uh, when we talked about it early because I remember still like at the point when that happened. Um, I think there were still a lot of people guessing until that moment actually took place. Right. And then people were like, oh, maybe he is actually Lee. And he, he did. He did. He's, he took his time. He um, he left, uh, I think, at the beginning of the year. Because I remember he was there for that anniversary show that year. I remember he was there for that because he obviously wouldn't miss it. Yes. Um, so I think it was springtime is when he had left. Yeah. And so he left in the spring and stayed away all through the spring, summer... And just as end of fall came, that's when we came back on TV, and he and I pitched that he just be the interview guy. And he's like, I could do that once a month. I could do that. Yeah. And uh, he was down, and we I remember I'd have him out back doing promos. We'd can the can promos to have him in the can for later for when I would put on for other stuff. Yep. So even if he wasn't at a show, he was cutting. I would fill it in. What happened? He would cut. A, he would still have the promos. So right. We'd do the See. ones out back for ones that for like Fairfield shows. And then he was doing the ones out front during the shows to plug in there, too. So he had a bunch of them. Right. He was on there a lot. He's about on there as much as Ethan is on the road. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 100%. He, uh, he was that role back in the day, in that era of IWE especially. Yeah. Um, I want to talk Clash for Corbin. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of emotional nights, that was another one, especially for the captain and his family. Yeah, for sure. Um, you I guys did a lot of work for that show, I remember. That was, uh, Captain, like, that's another, you know, you gave us a lot of leeway to, to do something there. And uh, Captain and I, like, we, we were the promotional team for that in a sense of just trying to get extra stuff going for a show that we normally could not get. Um, so, like, uh, telev- a couple television stations were able to cover. Yeah, I think um, three of them did, didn't they? Yeah, Bangor Daily gave us a shout-out. And it was just, it was a tragic story, but it was really cool what the entire IWE team kind of came together and, and pulled together. And that was, in my opinion, one of the best shows I've been a part of. And for everybody IWE. for that show worked for free. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Every like, single person. So all the money. I remember, too, because, like, 
we had almost a thousand dollars. Yeah. And I remember him announcing, it, and then people ran up to the ring, were trying to put extra yeah. money I, in it to go over, over, because he was like, "We have nine hundred and something dollars," and everybody's like, "No way, we're gonna make this a thousand. I uh, <laughs> I watched that because that that clip is also on YouTube. The end of that show is on YouTube. I watched that recently. And then she started because everybody kept bringing money, and she started crying was, too. That yeah. made me cry. <laughs> people brought up when when we were just in the ring there. People brought up over two hundred dollars. Like Jeez. it was just in, it was people coming because it was a packed house. It was people coming from everywhere, but it yeah. was it was a fundraiser. For a good cause. Um, his nephew. There was a, a just a tragedy that I, I won't. Tra- I say good cause, like good reason. I yes, say not good cause because um, obviously the cause right is tragic. It was for a good Very reason, tragic. but it was going it was going to the family who was uh, hurting at that point after just an unfortunate incident, and yes. I think it brought. It brought uh, definitely traumatic. It brought a lot of uh, help to the family who uh, you know really needed it in that form, and I think it brought a lot of pleasure to the captain to be able to to put something like that together and help make that happen. I also think it helped lift, the, considering what had happened, the spirits, so to speak, because I remember her crying. She wasn't crying out of sadness at that time. She was crying because so many people were willing to help. Yeah, she just couldn't believe it. She it couldn't was, believe it. She it was shocked. very cool. Yeah. Um, he got to be a big part of that show, and rightfully so. Uh, the main event was brother versus brother. It was a very heated confrontation between Johnny Primer and Joseph Primer. Big buildup for that. Big buildup where Joseph Primer stole the Primer Inc. name and, and made it his own. And uh, Captain gets involved there, throws a sucker punch to Joseph Primer, drops him, and uh, after getting slapped in the face, mind yeah, you. Right. It's <laughs> got to be uh, warranted. <laughs> God, that was uh, that was awesome and one of the biggest reactions, I think, to this day that I've ever heard in that building. Yeah, um, cat was fired up. Take me through uh, that show for you from your perspective and any talk that you well, may have had with the captain about it. Well, I remember when this was getting all put together, I was more of the guy, because like you said, I gave guys a lot of free roaming with this, because I was like, well, this is on you guys, because I don't... I didn't. I, I didn't really know. I was like, uh, what, "What do you need for me?" Was more of the question I was asking, which was, I guess, like flyers and things, the normal essentials. But most of you guys did most of the work, and I just, I, I spoke to the locker room. I guess I was the guy that helped get that to go on too. Yeah, I remember you spoke to a few people too, and everybody kind of was. Everybody was really supportive, which was awesome. Yeah, like all everybody on that. Everybody understood why. When what we were doing, right, and why we were doing it, and there was like no nobody questioned. Everybody was like, "We're in, we're, whatever you need from us." Yeah. That's essentially what I was doing. Like, whatever you need from me, let's do it. And that's I remember the interviews for the TV stations. It was you and the captain setting all that up. So I think that was like kind of like the early stages for you when you realized you could do this. That was one of the first things that in in a project of that nature that I was like given kind of the leeway to go ahead with. Um, you did the same thing too. We did that show in Howland. Yep. Uh, for that family who had their house burned down. And that was, it was just uh, a lot of learning experiences very early on, but especially the Clash for Corbin show um, definitely taught me a lot about uh, just different ways to get the word out there because I th- I thought we had a, a really awesome thing that we were doing. And I was, I was shocked that more places that we reached out to honestly didn't want to cover it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, because, I was a little shocked too. But I, I was happy that three channels covered it and you got Bangor Daily involved and the outcry of people that came, you know. It was a great, was a yeah. Town, it was a pack, there wasn't an empty seat in the house. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, one of the last things I do want to touch on because this has been something that 
Uh, I had had conversations with him about a couple times, uh, just something that had been in the back of his head for some time, the main murder militia. Yes. Um, the, the group that he formed after, after the executive director role, after the interviewing role, uh, he then transitioned to a managerial role, which is not something that he had really done much of before. Uh, so other than he hadn't done, actually, at the time. Yeah, only specific circumstances. I, I remember him. A few uh, there, times he did a few things. Some interpromotion, but it, that wasn't really, it's not a consistent thing. Right. Like, um, were you still there when this change occurred? Um, when I sold the company, I was there for a little, like a little bit of a hot minute until uh, I felt myself getting pushed out. Yeah. Um, which I knew Captain didn't approve of. Um, when I finally got pushed out because there wasn't a there wasn't anything here for me type spot, <coughs> but they had a spot for Roadblock anyway. So <laughs> sorry, I had to break that up. I got pushed out. He thought it was bullshit. Um, one of the members of the murder militia, Derek Shorey, thought it was bullshit, who was in the last match at the time I was in. Yeah. Um, it caused a lot of it caused rifts a lot at of that rifts. point. But they were, they had literally, from what Captain had told me, because they had this big plan for the murder militia to be like this big faction. The problem was there was no consistency. It was always just him and Mason X. Derek was in the group as Shatter. Yep. Um... What was Moxie's gimmick back then? What was it? Something, something. I forget what his gimmick. It was before Zach Burton? Yeah. Oh, it was he, Paradox. He, Paradox. Paradox. That's Paradox. what it was. Paradox was in it. Um, and then... Uh, <laughs> Spencer was uh, in it, too, for uh, a hot Yeah, Blade Bandit. Oh, oh, oh. And then the... the <laughs> I call them the Stooges because I popped the idea originally. It was uh, Roadblock and Tommy Lane. They were the security for, for Captain. Oh, he Remember was that? fucking pissed about that. <laughs> That was my idea. I apologized about it. <laughs> I, I said that I, I said they should come out dressed up in like suits and ties, and wearing the black gloves, like kind of like a Mr. Hughes gimmick. Back okay, in the day. he should be. They should be these secure. Tommy Lane does look exactly like Mr. Hughes. So, <laughs> but I'm just saying because it's funny because Tommy Lane and Roblox are both very small. Right. No, <laughs> and they're both security it would guys. Be ironic. They're, just, they're like the Stooges for yep. Mr. Man. I said. Captain needs to be the executive director. He needs his own stooges. <laughs> and and I just remember Sonny Roselli's eyes lighting up as I'm telling him this. He's oh, like, yeah. that's, he goes, that's part of my language. He goes, that's fucking great. Yep. We're doing it. And then he immediately called Roblox. Roblox, you and Tommy Lane need to get a suit and tie. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> and then you're now, you're now uh, was it R&B security or something like that? I have no clue. TNT, maybe. I don't know. Uh, was it, I think no it was R&B idea. security or something like that. I forget how. Um, but yeah, that I just remember the group. It was a big group. They were planning big things for it. It was pretty much going to be like the, the pseudo corporate ministry yes. idea was what it was. That's why you had the security for Vince, who was the captain, right? And then you'd have all the you know you got Mason X over here who could be Undertaker, Kane, whatever. It was the idea of they were recycling an old. It was a blueprint. It was a blueprint yeah. idea. And uh, it never worked because not everybody showed. He just got fucked <laughs> never over. Showed up. He just got fucked over. By it was a great people. idea. I thought it was a good start, and they, he just got fucked. The only people that were always consistent were him and Mason X, and Mason X was only until he had to stop wrestling. And, yeah, and then he got done. So I think it was uh, <coughs> a lot of inconsistency that really. I think Blade Bandit would only make Fairfield shows. Right. <laughs> so he's. I mean, he's limited there anyway. And, of, and then Derek took time off, and then. Uh, Moxie had the following out with what Sonny and yep. Bomb, I think. So literally the the two mainstays were Mason X and the Captain. Which yep. they fed well together. They did. Captain yeah. was the good like there's plenty of promos online too of that. Yep. Um, 
of Cabin being the mouthpiece for Mason X. Yep. Which was probably one of the better renditions of Mason X. I'll give I, I think it was one of the best ones that uh, actually gave some character to Mason X. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It had been it had been a character that had been around the realm of IWE yeah. for quite some time, but this was the freshest coat of paint I think yeah. it had ever had. Yeah. Um, so now. Uh, that's that's really the journey of the captain through IWE. Um, one one little uh, there's some hidden nuggets, especially throughout the first year of Limitless. Uh, the captain was on commentary quite a bit actually, and one I watched the other day that I totally forgot he was on commentary for was uh, he and Ethan Scott, who I know that he was uh, he played a big role in Ethan getting into the professional wrestling business at all. Uh, he was the dude who vouched for Ethan. I remember very early on. Uh, the two of them commentate the Alexander Lee Danger Kid fans bring the weapons match, which That's I know very is apropos for that yeah, match, very, considering they're all like where everybody came from, you know. Yeah, they're all they all came from IWE at one point, no right? Offense. Came from IWE, and then it's like so they all knew each other really well. Yeah, so the fact that they're able to commentate that specific match too, you know, like they knew who was involved, exactly they knew what they were watching, they knew what they needed. To do. It fit really well. Yeah, um, for sure. We're gonna transition now. Uh, someone who I would almost guess you were the closest with uh, out of the three, and someone who you, you really grew up and kind of came up in wrestling alongside, at least for certain periods of time, that's Mark Godfrey. Mm. Um, he formerly wrestled as Crazy Mark Callis, Psycho Mark Allen. Um, Crazy Mark Callis! Dude, my... <laughs> you used my, to watch him as a kid, didn't you? The first ever, independent, <laughs> first ever independent wrestling match I ever watched live was Crazy Mark Callis and The Punisher, Aiden Andrews. Dang. Uh, the first ever picture that I got... Well, with I don't him. know if I should say that's awesome or I feel bad for it. No, <laughs> I, dude, it was kidding. awesome at Just the time. Kidding. First ever it picture was, I got with a wrestler. It was the match I remember, too. It had a really cool finish. It, 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 it was like a swing around DDT thing. Yep. Yep. It was a really cool finish. It was a hot pop for it. And I remember that was actually their both of their first professional matches. That's crazy. My dad fucking loved that dude. Like he, because <laughs> he just he, he was he hailed from the local truck stop. So my yes. dad, my dad may have been a little inebriated at his first wrestling show. He was screaming truck stop, go truck stop, but just at the top of his lungs. And uh, that dude, uh, crazy like see, to he s- see Mark Mark. Um, I started in wrestling before Mark did, but I got Mark used to be a really great amateur wrestler. Okay, back all through high school, I had no clue. He's won, and back before he moved to Maine, he had won championships in other states as an amateur wrestler. Is he from Ohio? Is that correct? Um, he has family to- in Ohio, but he also has a family in New Hampshire. Okay, and in Massachusetts. Everybody. So he, yeah, he got family across the board. And um, when he moved to Maine, he was a big an amateur wrestler. Well. He was friends with Neil, and Neil, who was Aiden Andrews, he and I were really good friends in high school. So when I started doing professional wrestling, and Neil hadn't started yet, Aiden Andrews hadn't started yet, Mark found out I was doing professional wrestling and wanted to come see the shows. And then at that time, that was 2006? Sounds about right, because I saw him in 2008. Yes. So 2006, they did, uh, Sonny was, and uh, Larry were still doing uh, NAWA shows in Old Town. And they did what's called a Ring of Dreams competition, which allowed kid, people, these kids that wanted to be wrestlers to try out. And they would do these competitions, and Mark was one of them, and he got down to the finals. Wow. But he got sick and couldn't make it 
to the actual day of the finals. So oh, he didn't win. No. So is this so a legit he, tournament? That it was like a, it was like almost like uh, more like a, like a, oh. tough enough. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. Okay. So he he still wanted to continue with it. So when I started, well, it wasn't IWE yet, but when I started building up toward IWE doing the Brewer shows, he wanted to get involved. Right. And I said, and he had had been training prior to. So I said, okay, well, I'll work with you. At the time, I was already working with Aiden Andrews. So I said, okay, well, I'll work with both of you. Right. Get you both up to speed. And let's aim to have you have a match at this show. Was he was he training with Sonny and Larry still? Like, is that he the... did when they were in Old Town? Okay. So but when they got when they got out of that building, he had nowhere to go. Right. So then, and so and when I was already planning to start doing my own thing in Brewer, I already had started working with Aiden Andrews. That's when he was the Punisher, just the yep. Punisher. And so, and he was friends with Mark. So I said, "Oh, I'm gonna work with both of you, and let's aim to get you guys up to speed so you can have a match at this show." So they, sorry, banging on the fucking table. I I'm said, sorry. I said before we started this thing, the only thing I got, about, I got into it. <laughs> I know, movements. I know, I know. Sorry. So I, uh, we aimed for this show. They trained, 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 and they went out and they had a match at that show. That was their first, both of their first matches, wow. professional okay. matches. That's that crazy. Show. So a little story there. Yeah. So, um, in back when we were in, he was in high school, um, Mark would do backyard wrestling. He oh yeah, was Psycho Mark Allen. Then okay, but when I what I and and Aiden Andrews already had the Punisher character that he wanted to do, and he had the mask and whatever. I got it. So whatever. But I was like, we should make some tweaks to your character, Mark. And that's when he, I said, you know, I gave him the the trucker cap yep. and the flannel, and I made him wear the busted jeans. Oh yeah, torn I was up like, shirt. you're gonna be a straight up. Main style truck driving. Yeah, you hail from the local truck stop. You're crazy, Mark Callis. <laughs> and he he had this voice. Ah, crazy Mark Callis. How you doing? He could do it well. Who's having a beer? <laughs> <laughs> so he get his he, beers bought for him. Yeah, too. yeah. He got everybody bought him Bud Lights. Like like I don't know. He he ate a Bud Light. That was funny. <laughs> he so, ate Bud Lights. So he gets started. He's a twisted T guy. It's kind of cool that him and Neil, um, with how their history works out, that they started kind of around the same, same time, time because. Then uh, he wrestles for a few years locally, mm-hmm. um, and then it's crazy about Kyle's. They they ship it out to Ohio. Yeah, they both moved out to Ohio, which is where Mark's base of his family is. That's where his father is. Is that was that the impetus for moving? Was well, his family? he he was getting married and wanted to have a kid and have a fresh start and all okay. this. So he he moved, and Neil decided to go with. <laughs> so they all moved. They all left the same about the same time. Yep. So they all went out to Ohio, and they continued still wrestling out there because they found a couple groups out there that they got involved with, and then they even started running their own shows. Yes. Using the same ideals I was doing up here because right. they would always call me like, "How do we do this? How do we do that?" And I remember them. I remember them calling me one day. They're running their first show ever. Okay. <laughs> They rented a ring. Yeah. Their ring gets there. They're trying to put it together. They couldn't understand why the ropes weren't getting tight. And I said, did you tighten the undercarriage? <laughs> and they're like, oh. Yeah. So I'm like, that means no. So yep. loosen your ropes. Tighten your undercarriage first so you can't tighten it no more. Then tighten the ropes. And then call me back. Yep. They call me back half an hour later. Works now. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, Wow. But um, they wrestled out there for a bit, and that's when 
Crazy Mark Callis disappeared, and Mark went back to being Psycho Mark Callis. Yeah, so that was only that was Crazy Mark Callis. For it was only his, a main thing at it, the time. For as much as I know it, I guess it's only like a couple years stint for him. If he that. could be the long lost cousin of Big Moxie, <laughs> he could. <laughs> he looked like it. They could have. Um, so he's out in Ohio for a couple years. They're wrestling out there. I've actually seen some of the videos from. Uh, them having their matches out. I don't know if it was necessarily their company was called NCWE. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, they did bring the company up here. Obviously, they didn't bring anything up here with them except for the belts because they didn't own anything else. But right. They um, did bring it up here. You you kind of helped them out a little with their their first couple shows up here. What um, what went into those? I remember they were in the they were at the oh, Capehart Rec yeah, Center in Bangor. Nice, that was a nice building. That was a really nice building. I'm so mad about that. We'll get to why, but in a minute. Yes. Um, so they wanted to bring NCWE up here, and I said, "How did you, know, you feel about that?" As a as so to lay the what? groundwork here. At this point, I think we're talking like 2013. That's what it feels sure, like to me. Yeah. Um, you had been 2014. You'd been running shows roughly five or six years at this point. You've been you've kind of dug your heels. Yeah, I started in 2008, and now um, they are kind of bringing their thing up here. And it was it it seemed like a good working relationship from the start. Well, the way I looked at it was, I can either help them. They're my friends, so you can either help them or I can be their competition. And I said, oh, I don't really want to be their competition because I've, I've done that with other promotions yep. at the time from way back in the day, the PWAs and all the other stuff that happened. Um, so NWA on fire. Yeah. So I said, you know, I'm just going to help them out. I'm going to rent my ring. So I would be the ring rental. So in this way, I'm making money off of them making money, if you think about it. Right. Everybody, so everybody, everybody wins. wins. Yep. Yeah. It's a helping hand system. So I said, okay, sure. So I ran on the ring and I would wrestle on the shows and yada yada yada. Well, eventually they they did good their first few shows and then it got kind of sour. Yeah. They started losing money, and uh, Mark didn't want to have any do it running it because he's got a kid and all that. And Neil didn't have any kids yet at the time, so he brought in I think Von Taggart to be another investor into the company. Yeah. And then. When they just weren't drawn enough, I offered to, quote-unquote, buy them out. I said, listen, give me the venue. I'll buy your belts and whatever. I'll, I'll do I'll do. I'll buy them out, much like I did with uh, MEW. Yep. Uh, the first run. <laughs> yeah. The first one. Um, so I bought them out, and I got their venue. And then I did, I think, two shows there. And then after the second show, I lent the venue... To Primer, who brought in New Jack, who violently murdered Larry Wilder, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I'm sure you did. Um, but because they left blood across the building, and people called about the extreme nature of the violence yeah. to the venue, the venue can no longer be used for wrestling shows. Yep. It was a... Uh, Thanks, Primer! It was unfortunate, because it was a, <laughs> it was it was a, a very nice building, uh, just a nice local rec center, but... It's always understandable to me. I have to put myself in their shoes because yeah, I agree. Uh, a lot of these venue owners are not professional wrestling fans. Nor do a lot of them probably don't wrestling really. It's a bad rap. It does, and a lot of people don't really want the headache, and especially if you've got uh, New Jack coming in and literally uh, butchering and, a couple guys, and there's blood all over the and floor. And New Jack's just doing his job, so you really can't blame him because no. that's what the promoter knows and wants to happen. Right. But they didn't warn nobody. They were supposed to be a big announcement that this match is. 
has, you know, discretion is advised because of the extreme nature of the violence, blah, blah, blah. Live and never That never happened. Anyway, so we lost the venue. Um, but Mark and Aiden Andrews still wanted to keep wrestling. Right. So I bring them in to the fold over at the IWE. Yep. So they came back. We're doing shows for me. I actually did a program with Aiden Andrews. Um, Mark had done one with Aiden Andrews too prior, which ended up leading up to when they had their last match and that big last. It was actually I think it was a fan appreciation night or something like that. I think it was something of that sort. I wanna I wanna get to that next. Um, I wanna cut in though for a little 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 personal piece here because sure. like in in the midst of this one, one between. The time that they stopped running shows and the time that we're building up to Mark's uh, final match with Neil, uh, they actually came and like uh, did some stuff with our backyard fed. Really? Which was, yeah, we had. We oh had yeah, the, I remember the video. And Von Taggart actually, which is funny. Remember how your all, videos on YouTube? Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they were, uh, and they were. So the trio ended up going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they were like. I just always remember because we were, you know, I was inexperienced at that point with any, I mean, I hadn't been in the business yet. No, no one who we were really with had been, and they were always just the coolest, you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they were always cool to us from a, from an early time. And, uh, it was, it was cool to have people who were like at a certain level, you know, it may give you something to look up to. Yeah. 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 And it was, I feel that it was fucking cool. And then working with them down the line, building up, uh, cause I remember there was, there was a little build-up to this final match for Mark. Um, yeah. Lead me into kind of... Because this is where we start getting into the unfortunate uh, health issues, which I don't want to dive too much into. But right. um, he did have some problems that were going to take him out of wrestling. And it just... It was not... Uh, it was going to be way too taxing on him and way too risky to really continue to do what he was doing at a level that he wanted to do when being a wrestler. Right. Um how well, that did, match took a lot out of him too. Oh so, my god! Yeah, because I'll get into that when we get there. They beat the shit out of each other. But yeah. um, take me through when it became a realization for you and him that this was probably going to have to end and have it end sometime oh. soon. And what went into planning that match? Well, if you remember, um, I don't know if you remember. I actually tried having Aiden Andrews and Mark tag. As the fallen, remember okay. that? I they tagged like twice. I feel like I remember it. It was but mostly I, they did it in Sopo. Okay. I think they did it once against the Mutts. No Player Society. Okay. Player Society. Okay. Anyway, so they tagged a few times, and uh, and I because uh, I I think they were trying to hide it. They want they said they wanted to tag, but they weren't really good at it. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like they were trying to hide something because then shortly after I started them tagging. I can tell that Mark was kind of not his normal self, and that's all I knew. His health wasn't great, and Mark already had. Uh, as those who don't know, he had kidney issues. Right. Um, he had to be on dialysis three days a week. So, I think this was really starting to take a toll on him. And Neil figuring he probably could, if he tag with him, they can kind of cover it. Yeah, they compensate. For, yeah, yeah. And they couldn't cover it. So, um, Neil. And Mark, at the same time, um, came to me and told me that Mark probably shouldn't be wrestling anymore because he's not, he's getting worse, he's not feeling great. Uh, and I said, well, if you're going to go out, you guys should go out wrestling each other, just like how you started. Yeah. Come full circle. You started wrestling each other, you should end wrestling each other. 
And they agreed. Yeah. Um, so it was either a fan appreciation night or it was one of the student showcase shows. Either way, I, I said, think it might. I think it was a. It felt like we a were, fan when we were doing two shows a month. It was definitely a, a cheaper ticket night. I remember that. So it was one of the two. Yeah, because like we would have the normal show at the beginning of the month, right? And then halfway through the month, we do a student showcase. Um, or slash fan appreciation night, which would be cheaper tickets because it's all based off the students. Right, right. And any other normal guys in the roster, if they wanted to come wrestle, they could, you know, and I'd work with them, and they'd end up working with the students. But anyway, this this show is based toward the students, which is great because, again, coming full circle, they right. were, like, my first students. Yep. And now they're coming to, to a student show. Do you consider them your first students? Um, like, yeah. Them? yeah. Yeah, I would. I would definitely, because it's true, they were. Yeah. Um, I probably shouldn't have been training people back that time, but I had been doing it at the NAWA shows yeah. in Old Town because I got stuck with doing it. Yeah. Um, I just continued doing it. I remember getting flack about it too, which was stupid because Sonny and, and Larry both knew from watching me train people at the NAWA shows because they were too quote unquote busy to yeah. do it. Yeah. You know, what did they think I was not going to do it? So anyway, back to the topic at hand. <sighs> Sorry. No, I, <laughs> I, I get it. For I get it. I got so much crap for that. Anyway, so they're going to have their match. They agree. So we, that same day where they told me, I had them, we did pictures. Yep. There, right in their house. I said, do you want the most recent picture? This way, when you have the poster, this, oh, that's, your, that's your poster. It's right. That's one you'll have to be on. You want to have it. And I knew, I remember it was a fan appreciation night slash student show because they were dead smack in the middle of the poster. Yeah. Um... Anyway, so we go into the show. I bought in the main event, and Mark's really having a hard time. Like, he's not feeling good. So, Neil, they made a sign. Like, Mark had, and Neil made some type of agreement with each other. Like, if Mark said he can't go, to take, to take it home. Yeah. But it won't stop the match. Um, well, Neil pushed him. He was out there. He's like, this is your last match ever. I'm not yeah. going to let you go out like that. Yeah. So they went off script, too, because they had planned a bunch of stuff. And they cut a bunch of stuff, and they added a bunch of stuff in. Like, I think they did a spot on the floor. And, wow. And stuff like that, yeah. Well, they also improv a lot, too, because if I remember correctly, I think the bottom rope had snapped. The Jesus. match just before them. And they're like, we don't need it. <laughs> this is a dude dealing with kidney issues. Yeah. You know? He's like, oh. He's like, we don't need the bottom rope. Let's just go. And they went out there, and I remember they had a lot. He had a lot of friends and family in the audience. Mark did that night. I remember um, the group picture. Um, yeah, that's that's like uh, one of my favorite pictures. I think from that era is just it was it was very nice and uh, just fitting that um, you get to have something like that for a last match in front of a bunch of people who care yeah. about you. Like that's that was his last full match ever. Hundred percent. Yeah. I, um, and that, this way he could go out. I wish I had the footage. I made a DVD for him a while back, which had all of his last matches on it. I gave it to Mark, and Mark had it. Yeah. But I wish I knew where it was, because I don't know where any of that stuff. I don't know where any of that stuff is now, because I made it specifically for Mark. Mark had it. I hope I hope his son has it. Yeah. Because at least his son will have that, but I don't know if he does or not. Um, But uh, yeah, that was a it was an emotional day for for Mark for sure. Um, but he's still stuck around because if you remember... That's what I was just going to say. Even yeah. though he got done, he's still he's like, ah, well, you know, he didn't go to a lot of the out-of-town shows, but he stuck around for the for the Brewer shows. He'd always, he's like, well, 
I can't wrestle, but I can always help out with like crowd control and being security and help him put up chairs or whatever. You he, know, he always wanted to help. He was always such a help, even for uh, I look at the early Let's Wrestle shows too. Like that's fast forwarding, but that's where we're going. I mean, uh, for his the last couple years that he was around IWE, and for the first really year and a half, I would say of Let's Wrestle. Uh, he was it was pretty much always there early if a hand was needed or oh. even just to well, say hello. The best hello. part about the Let's Wrestle shows was he lived right around the corner. Hop, skip, and a jump. He was yeah. literally a five-minute walk. Walk the distance. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, yeah, he was he was kind of uh, – we're going to talk about Joey Gleets next, but Mark kind of transitioned to really being uh, a handyman, so to speak. Like uh, yeah. could pick up any real odd job needed. It was security sometimes. It was hand cam sometimes. Well, I, I don't even. I don't know if you remember too. He did come back and manage for a short stint, but then his health got in the way again. Who did he manage? Me. Remember, Mr. Marcus. He came out with the towel, oh, and he God. had the little my tr- the tray with the glass of sparkling water. On I it. do remember that. Or man. wine when we did the wine thing. Yeah. Um, but An expensive uh, beverage. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you come out, he'd pat like during a match. I was. He would pat my face for me with the towel. <laughs> he loved it. He got a kick out of it because he was just great. Because then every time I'd have someone like hurting or whatever, I'd put him on the ropes and he'd choke him with the towel. Yeah. <laughs> so like, that's funny. Um, we we'd always do spots where people were like, "Oh, don't hit him! Don't hit him!" Then I would use him as a distraction. Things like that it was great. He loved it. It got him involved, but then his health got. I think his health got to him again. Like yeah. he was feeling great at the time. Not the point of wrestling, but he knew he wanted to do something, and he would dress real nice, have the nice dress shoes, and sh- he would kind of have his stints. I feel yeah. where he he would have a stint of feeling good, and then uh, a stint of just doing not so good. Yeah. Um, I look ahead and uh, look at one of the last things that we were actually able to do with Let's Wrestle before COVID kind of shut us down. And Jesus, like, I'm very thankful that we got to have that event December 2019 uh, when we stand together, which uh, a good call on the name to one of his favorite bands, Nickelback, on yes. that. That was that was a huge Everybody call. can throw the shade on Nickelback, but Mark Godfrey loves Nickelback. Hey, man. They got Nickelback and Three Doors Down were his two favorite one of his two, uh, two of his favorite bands. He loves radio rock, huh? Yeah, he does, man. He does. Um, uh, yeah, so, fundraiser, right? We're going. Yes, to yep. yeah. That was that was your idea off the rip. Um, something that came together really nicely, and uh, we actually got to form your match around having Mark be a crucial part of uh, really what led to the finish of the match. And right. uh, take me through because this was. This was a lot of uh, ideas that came from you, and I, I know we talked a few things over with Mark and the rest of the match, but uh, take me through this entire time with Mark um, and the match and uh, having that awesome moment that is uh, it's on the Let's Wrestle Facebook page, if you haven't seen it, where uh, you, you and Brandino, after retaining the Tag Team Championships, hand them off to Mark and his son. The fundraiser itself... Um like yeah, it was my idea. Um, I was gonna, I was honestly gonna do it, no matter what. I was already planning on doing it because I wanted to do my best to help raise some money for him. Because he was in the hospital for that long period of time, if you remember. I do, yeah. yeah. So, so well, that I, was over. That was like end of summer, fall area, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd been there for so long, was so backed up on bills, and uh, I just knew I had to help him out. And I had already been giving him money out of my own pocket. Like I gave him up to like five hundred dollars in my pocket, try to help him, and I was like, I can't do this on my own. I need help. Right. So I was like, let's do a fundraiser. Let's do this. And I remember, uh, I think it, it was supposed to. I think you you set up the time of the TV station, if I remember correctly. Yes. It was supposed to be me 
and Alexander Lee. Yeah. And yes, Alexander Lee slept through his alarm. Yes. So I was the only one there, which was fine. I just, I went for it. That and has happened on numerous <laughs> occasions. It's not just him. It's not just him, but that's a numerous, like, it happens all the time because uh, we'll get these, a lot of times, the only coverage slots we can get for events is the Good Morning Maine, which, no complaints, but it is at either 6.30 or oh, 6.45 in the morning. In the morning. So. Oh, I hated it. I hated it so bad. Um, but I did it because I'm, you know, got to get it, the show out there. We had quite the response. I mean, I think you had the largest Let's Wrestle show was that show, right? Up to that point, yeah, yeah. that was the largest one. So we, going into the show, I knew Mark was going to have his son David with him. I knew we wanted to do something special, even though he, he wasn't feeling really good, if you remember. He, wasn't, he, was, he was moving around okay, He was not but, feeling great that, that no, day or yeah. any time in that area, which was... Uh, just, you know, it, that's why he kind of toughed it out. He was toughing it out. The thing about Mark was that, uh, I just always expected him to kick out because I had just, he always we, kicked out. We had seen him go to such low lows in terms of health and then just be fine. You know what right, I mean? Right. Which that, that's why I think like, uh, him passing away just came as such a shock because it's like, that's one of those people who I'm just like, it's going to be a fight, but they'll be around. And, uh. But yeah, at that point specifically, um, he just was not in a great right. place. He was in rough shape. He, uh, but he was gonna do the spot no matter what. He was he wanted, fucking he wound to do, up. He wanted to do it for David. And he wanted to do it because he had family there too. His his mom was there. His friends were there. His brother was there. There's a lot of people there. His, his brother's kids were there. Like he had a bunch of family and friends in the audience. He he wanted to do this like because he knew this night was about him, and he was really touched at how many people came. Um, like people from all over the yeah. state came. It was crazy. Um, but the match itself, I had planned other things in a little differently, but we, you know, things changed last minute and out of my control. Oh, yeah. So we did what we got. We pulled it together right. And if, uh, for those who didn't know, we even had a special ref come back out. That was pretty, that was that pretty. That was Aiden cool. Andrews. Yep. So it was like a cool little thing we could do to tie it in again, full circle. Um, so, and I thought it was a great little spot there for Mark where he kind of helps us out, makes a save, unties me. Yep. We come in, we kick some butt, we win. But because of Mark, we probably would, if without Mark, we probably would have lost. So, you know, so it was a great little moment. And leaving, letting Mark have that moment with David was a big thing for me. Like yeah. When I gave them, we gave, I told Brady to like give them the belts, let them have them, let them do their thing. And then getting up on the ropes and... And the fans cheering. His for music him. was hit too. Yeah, um, he had his music going. They got to stand in the entranceway together with the belts, and I thought it was a good feel-good moment for them. That he really, I think, he really needed to have with David. Yes. Um, and that was one of the last things he did in wrestling. The other thing he did was also at the IWB's anniversary, they had their Circle of Champions. Yep. Where they inducted him into the Circle. So it's like the IWB Hall of Fame. Right. And they gave him the ring, and uh, I was the presenter for his ring that's cool and um i as the night i wrestled malonis oh fuck i was there yes. yeah and okay. i had asked him as one last time there when i when i after you guys ring i got on the mic and i asked him one last time if he'd manage me as mr marcus that's cool and so again coming back to he got to manage me one last time he had the spot with uh where he super kicked limits yep and uh, Malone is trying to big Malone is chasing little Mark Godfrey around yeah. the ring. <laughs> that was great. Oh, and then helps me win with that school that little roll up. Yep. Yeah, it was good. Two last two good feel good moments 
And uh, but I really feel like that show in Orono, which was like five minutes walk from his house, yeah, yeah. with him and, and David was the big moment. And a lot of him. a lot of friends and family there too to kind of yeah. witness and experience. I feel like that was I think that was a big family moment for him. And then the IWU was probably like with getting the circle of changes comes like a coming a circle for that. Too, yeah, so that was also like, cool with the boys. Like, thank you for what you did. You and know? and there was a lot of people who he still came through the ranks with that were in IWE at that time. You Not a ton, it. but there was still. Uh, Everybody the, knew who he was, though. Of course, they loved it. They all knew because he—that was the thing too. When he was always at the shows, he'd always come and hang out. And he'd, if he wasn't doing security, he'd sit in the crowd and watch the show, and everybody say hi to him. Everybody take pictures him. with him. And yep. He chat with everybody, and like he still had fun. You know, I think he had fun right up until the end. Um. So with that, we'll transition to uh, the last person that we're talking about here who I think Limitless Wrestling fans are probably the most familiar with. Yes. That's referee Joey Gleets, uh, who has just been a part of Limitless Wrestling from day one. He's probably um, the best referee in the state. I, I would say that there's probably not a dispute for that. Yeah. Um, just He was excellent and kind of held down the refereeing for really every major promotion that was going in the state of Maine for a matter of... 11 years, mm-hmm. um, if that's correct. He was uh, every, essentially, he was refereeing every promotion. He was ever. the workhorse. <laughs> yeah. He was the workhorse. If yeah. there was a workhorse in the state of Maine wrestling who was behind the scenes making sure that loose ends were tied, uh, I think that's Joey Gleets on a show day especially because uh, any task he was given, whether it was building the ring, whether it was going to pick something up, whether it was fixing something broken, setting up the entrance, setting up the music, uh, refereeing the entire show on his own. Uh, yes, he would. He'd bitch. Ref- he'd bitch. Yeah. Oh but, my uh, God. Uh, I remember the day we're setting up the ring, and I ah, uh, because I remember the ring was getting set up late. I was in a brewer. The ring was getting set up right, and like I remember saying, "Oh, Joey Gleets was here." He said, "Why ain't the fucking ring done yet? What the fuck happened yet?" Blah blah. And then literally thirty seconds later. Joey Gleets walks in, <laughs> and everybody starts laughing. And everybody sees Joey Gleets walk in, and I'm like, oh, God. Joey Gleets. Didn't, he didn't hear any of it. It was crazy. Joey gave me one of the most terrifying experiences when I was young in the business. Uh, yeah, Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not that bad. Oh, okay. It does involve us in a bathroom together. What? Uh, yeah. Um, oh, my God. We fucking, uh, I would arrive early for the Fairfield shows because uh-huh. uh, I was a part of the setup crew. So usually it would be, I'd, I'd usually make it there by 1 o'clock. Uh, one one thirty, and I remember when I got there. Uh, I think you and Sarah were the only two people who had arrived before that I thought. With and so my car load gets out. I head to the bathroom first because I need to use it. Uh, <laughs> lights are off for some godforsaken. Oh, because it's a sensor light. Oh, that makes sense. There's uh, no, it's no movement. It goes off, so you can literally get left on the shitter in the dark. Uh, well, that's where he was. <laughs> Uh, because I came in like a bat out of hell needing to use the bathroom and I fucking went to the very last stall, the biggest one, of course, because I'm that guy, and uh, I go to push it open. What the goddamn hell? I'm fucking shitting in here. It's Joey. <laughs> and I could have shit a pan because like, I'm like, there's no one in this bathroom right now. I'm like whistling and ready to go do my thing. And I'm like, what the fuck? Um... <laughs> But let's let's rewind. I got a story like that too. All right, hit me with that, and then we'll oh, go to the start. Ah, oh, this is great. So Larry Wilder um, and 
Joey Gleets and a few of the guys are at Primer's old place out on George Street in Bangor, okay. right? So they're all on a birthday. It's, it's Primer's birthday, so they've oh, all been drinking. No. Yeah, we're going there. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old Joey Gleets. He's drinking PBIs. Oh, PBIs no. and Fireball, kid. Right. Uh, so. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, he decided it would be a great idea to take a Larry Wilder senton in the middle of the floor. Oh my gosh. At Johnny Primer's house. And Larry Wilder's not small. No, Larry Wilder's <laughs> over he, he hit it so hard they dented the floor. Yep. <laughs> oh my yep. god, like, how do you guys dent the floor? Stiff senton. <laughs> like, that sure. was the stiffest senton ever. And then I can't one continue drinking. Oh yeah, it's great. It's great. Joey Gleets like to drink. Joey Gleets like to drink. Um, all right, so take me, take me back. Uh, we're gonna start these all kind of the same way. I want your first introduction to Joey because I'm, I'm actually not so sure. Like I know that he moved here, and then I'm, I'm very curious, like how he became in he touch with you. He actually got a hold of Cityside before he got a hold of me because he wanted to rent the venue to do a wrestling show there, which is really weird. Um, so, of course, the venue, Tracy, the owner at the time, hit me up and said, Hey, so-and-so, is trying, someone is going to try to run a show. I want to get your thoughts on it. And I said, have you done any research? Have they run shows before? Who are they? Do they have a ring? She, she didn't do any research. She followed up. And they didn't have a ring. They didn't have nothing. The, the, the guy was trying to run his first show. <laughs> and it ended up being Joey Gleets. He wanted to have a hardcore wrestling show. Oh no shit. So he she then gave him my information. He calls me and wanted to rent my ring. Yada yada yada. Yep. And I said, Well, I run monthly shows there and I think there'd be a conflict of interest if you come in and try to do a hardcore wrestling show in my right. family oriented <laughs> wrestling venue. Yeah. Um how, he's like, Oh, then he he found our website and and whatnot and he said, oh, you got training and all, all this. So he wanted to train to be a... He's like, oh, I want to train to be... He wanted to train to be a professional wrestler. So was he... That's how he wanted to start. So he was outside of the business looking to run a show first. Yes. Okay. Because he did backyard wrestling and he wanted to do a hardcore show. That's why he thought he could got try it. to do it. Okay. And um, that's why he has a little limp. He hurt his leg in a backyard wrestling match. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So that's why he had that little limp the entire time. Joe Balls. Yeah. So he... Uh, he decided he wanted to train to be a wrestler, so he started joining my classes. Okay. And back then, we had you know, Crash Landing, Ricker, you know, Ryan London, all them guys. So we had all the young, like, I had huge classes back in the day. So he started in, and that's where he wanted to start, was being a wrestler. So he trained for a while. Um, I would say around the time Crash Landing first had his first match, Joey wasn't far, uh, far behind problem was is he just he had a hard time because of his leg and he just he he's like i can't do it i can't do my ankle my ankle i can't i'm like dude you can't keep using your ankle as an, as an excuse i understand you had an injury to the if it's not fully healed then you probably shouldn't be a wrestler a you're risking yourself and risking other people right and then what happens is you go to suplex somebody and your ankle gives out yeah that's it that's yep. the ball game so I said, you can't be doing that. I was, like, I was like, he's like, okay, all right. Well, he got it checked out, and, you know, the doctor said he probably shouldn't wrestle. <laughs> and I said, well, it doesn't mean you cannot not be in the business. You've been training, like, at this point for six to eight months. Right. You know, don't give up. You already know so much. 
why don't you try something else? Why don't you try refereeing? He's like, oh, I don't know. He didn't know if he really wanted to do it. That's so interesting. He did. <laughs> he turned out to be a great referee. Right, right. Like, he didn't know if he wanted to do it. So I let him try it, and I gave him a crash course, me and Chris Berry. Yep. Gave him a crash course. Chris Berry's been, like, the longstanding referee in Maine, like, ever. Yep. He's been around for years. Like, for longer than me. I think he had a cameo on the uh, Tony Atlas True Life. See, so. he's been doing it a long time. That so tells me you. and Chris Berry showed him, showed him how to referee. And lo and behold, he started, because Joey would like to watch old wrestling. You know, he likes all that old wrestling. So he'd go back and watch the referees from back in the day. Yeah. He loved old wrestling. So he'd go we back were, and watch it. I, I did not realize like what Memphis a, stuff. Yeah. We, like we had started doing, stuff. like, we had traded matches uh, as early as this year. Like, uh, when the pandemic first started, of like, I was sending him Mid-South stuff that I liked. And he would send me either Memphis or, like, WCCW yeah, stuff. he loves he, all that old yeah. stuff, man. And I love it, too. So he would send me stuff once in a while, too. So I, I get it. So... And that's how he picked up referee, and boom, boom, he'd watch that, and you know, yeah. And then all the while, still watching some of the recent stuff. Right. So he really upped his game, and then he always picked people's brains too. Like um, a few people know that Billy Silverman actually lives up here in Maine. Oh, I know. And he's picked. They've talked, and he's picked Billy Silverman's brain a bunch of times, which is probably great because Billy Silverman used to be WCW ref. Yeah. He used to have a contract and the whole nine yards, you know? So he did the right thing. He'd always improved. He went from, so he went from wanting to be a wrestler to being damn near the best referee in Maine. Yeah. So how, <laughs> he didn't uh, even really want to be a ref at first. So he, he had his <laughs> stint of training, yes. um, ends up realizing that probably the in-ring career is not something for him. Uh, how long did he do referee specific training before he was thrown into the, into the wolves, so to speak? Um, well, see, I, I also like because he'd been training over so long, and like then he'd been he also was my camera guy. If yeah, you remember he used I to run around the ring, be camera guy. So he all he actually him trained to be a wrestler, and then doing the camera helped a lot in influencing him how to how to be a referee because yeah. he knew positioning. Yeah, he knew where to move. He knew where to go, where not to go, what to do, how to be done, how to not be done. Like he he understood a lot of it because of what he did already. So once he, like, it only took him like a month or two yeah. before he was already refereeing. I didn't have him referee a lot at first. I had him do one or two matches a night. Yeah, easy. And the next thing you know, and, and then as I went along, because Chris Berry was like my only ref for a minute. <laughs> yeah. I did have a couple of slide in refs. I had, well, actually, I had all female refs too at one point, yep. way back in the day. That's, yeah. I, I, can, just... I can blame the wrestlers for making that not happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a whole nother can of worms we're not going to open. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Uh, continuing with this can of worms, this can of worms here, uh, he eventually started doing half the shows. Yeah. Because it would be him and Chris Barry, and they would do half the shows a piece. So, and it worked out great because Barry was like, hey, I don't have to referee the whole show by myself. <laughs> right. Chris Barry liked it. And him, and they would pick and choose too. Like, if I had a name on the show and it was a Fairfield and a Brewer, one of them would referee the the name in Fairfield, the other one would do it in Brewer. It you know? seemed like such a, and I remember that as soon as I got in, because uh, I was trying to just watch how everything worked and they, there was always, they're always, and this is not they just great the, communication. Through yes. Them. Not just the IWE locker room. Every locker room is, especially when you use the same components all the time, it's going to have its levels of drama. Yeah. It's going to have uh, some quarrels, but him and Chris Barry, who, as you said, they pretty much were the consistent referees for IWE. They played off each other very well. Right out straight. Like, yeah. no fucking issues. 
uh, no beef really with each other. Too. Yeah, they were they were very close, and I think uh, it can't be understated too. Looking forward a little bit, how much of an influence Joey Gleitz has had on the referees that we see here today, right. especially in limitless wrestling. I'll, I'll give Joey Gleitz the credit too, because whenever we had tag matches on the show, I always made it clear I wanted him to do all the tag, bro, because he was good at doing the tag psychology. He was fucking for the tag, great. and he because he would. He, uh, he did not let his integrity get questioned a lot by wrestlers, and that's it's such uh, it's so tough, I think, to be a referee and uh, to not look stupid sometimes because right. sometimes you're just going to be put in positions that you don't know about or you're in the bad bad position for, mm. and something takes place that makes you have a story of lay it on. Oh no. I don't know much to talk about it, but I'm all right. All right. We'll so you remember when you know you remember? Okay, if it's bad, we gotta cut it. And you remember when we were doing the whole IWE uh, versus NWA on fire angle? Yes. Okay. Well, and uh, on fire guys were invading IWE shows, and IWE guys were yeah, okay. So I was wrestling Fury in Fairfield one time. Yep. Okay. Joey Gleeds is the ref, and I don't know. What ha- Joey Gleets ingested that day, but I'm going to tell you what. Me and Brian Fury get done with our entrances. Bell rings, we're circling up. We're about ready to tie up. And Joey Gleets rips one. We are like right in, you know how when you, people pause to go to lock up, they do that mid step, they're about to step into the lock up? Yeah. We stopped. Me and Fury looked at each other. Looked over at Joey Gleets. Joey Gleets go, <laughs> just biggest shit eating grin on his face. He goes, <laughs> wrestle. That was his. That was <laughs> I'm like, me and Fury look back at each other, look over back at him. He does the <laughs> wrestle. I'm like, look at him. We tie up. I'm like, you smelly son of a bitch. <laughs> That was like his rib. Stank. That was his rib. Oh, was it he, stank like rotten fucking ass. He bro. was a typical <laughs> pants shitter in the ring. I don't mean shit, but like, and almost uh, at least once a show, he'd come up and whisper something in my ear to try to get me to break um, when I was ring announcing. But typically, the thing that what he would say was, "I just shit my pants," and I'd say, "Did you really?" And he said, no, but I farted a little. And that was, that was, uh, sometimes it would get me to break just because, like, oh. it would be in the biggest of moments. Like, right before a championship match comes, stand beside me. What if I shit myself right now? I'd be like, I'd be disappointed, bro. There's another instance, too. Back, remember the, the old, old, uh, old Bertha? Old Bertha, IDB rig? Of course I do. Oh, okay. Of course I do. Well, we always, I'm too big to get underneath that damn thing. So I always send, you know, Gleets or Crash Landing on it. It was there. almost always Gleets. <laughs> yeah, so. One day, Gleets and Crash landing under there. Mind you, the skirtings are on it and everything. They're just down there tightening everything. And so the boards had slipped. So they wanted to go fix the boards. But, you know, they push your feet up on it and fix it. Oh, yeah. Crash and Gleets are the ones that can fit underneath there. So while doing that, Joey Gleets is fixing the boards. Rips one right next to Crash Landing. Oh, no. <laughs> I just see Crash get out there and go, Whoa! <laughs> And Joey Gleets trying to fix the boards. 
<laughs> it's just laughing. You can hear him laughing. And you just if you're up if you're above the ring and where he's fixing, you see the board go as he laughs, the board's shaking. <laughs> as he's laughing, I'm like, what is going on? And then Crash like he just shit his pants. He hated that ring. <laughs> yeah, love did. it was a love hate relationship. He loved it and hated it. He loved it because of how firm it was and how sturdy it was. Yeah. So like when you bumped on it, like. You know, you wouldn't squish. You know, some ring you stand there's like it's almost like you're stepping on a mattress. Yes, I hate that. yeah, it's almost I like hate foam. That. It's like sponge. Yeah, no, that ring was firm. The problem was it that was, was too really firm. fucking firm. It's yeah. too firm because when you bump, your body would bounce. The ring wouldn't bounce. Firm is an <laughs> understatement because that's uh, so, that's the first ring that I ever bumped in, and I said, "Wow, I uh, maybe I, I'm not doing this." Like, yeah, it was. Yeah. It takes the wind out of you. It was crazy. Yeah, I didn't like how flat it was though. Like the ring was when it was right, put together right, it was like pristine flat. There was it looked good. Yeah, it, it was like it, a nice it looked sheet. good. And then I think about. I also think Look about great on camera. Joey Gleets, uh, the night that the Sandman came to the IWE, and he was jumping up and down in the center of the ring where the hole was. Oh, well, yeah, the, the board had slipped. There's a fucking hole. Yeah, there's a hole. And we told everybody, avoid the hole. Avoid the hole in the We're ring. We're fixing an intermission. And I, I look out over the table as Sandman's in there wrestling, and he is jumping up and down in the hole, which is raising... The board that has slipped because these aren't these aren't fucking two by fours. These the are the plywood boards, and it's just jumping up and down below the canvas, and like, dude, it's just a sight to behold. And I remember Joey Gleets like I saw him at intermission. He's like, Jesus Christ! If that's anybody else here, they're getting a fucking they're getting their ass handed to him. And I said, Well, it's a Sandman. What are you gonna do? He said. Well, I'm gonna go fix it. I loved uh, I loved having Joey around. He was just such a fucking such a fun force to have in the locker room. Uh, always, that's that's one of those people who I would always make a point to talk to, whether it was uh, a show that he was on for me, or if it, if I was visiting mm. like an IWE show. He he really well, refed everything in the state. One and, of his last shows were his. Uh if I remember correctly, it's one of uh, the NAWA shows and skips. That was his very. That was literally three days before he passed away. Yeah, the, and I remember because Brandino, my tag partner, he was one of Gleitz's matches that night. Yeah. So I think actually I think it was the last one. It could have been Rift. So because yeah. Brandino was all emotional about it, he's like, "Dude, I just saw that dude like three days ago, and he ref my match, and I don't know what to think right now." Yeah. It's <laughs> like, dude, just take a second. In your composure, I get yeah. it. I uh, that's that's the one that I did not believe the most when I was told because, because he just was just refereeing. I like talked. I talked to him. Uh, I looked it up after I talked to him like 30, 30, 36 hours before it happened, and it was just you know typical conversation and not someone who had been in in any bad health that we had known about. You know, at least um, it's just it makes you. Uh, Makes you appreciate the moment that you're in and the people that you're around right now because, uh, especially with him, he was uh, all these guys uh, relatively young. You know what I mean? Yeah, all all yeah. three relatively young. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone was over. Uh, uh, Captain was the oldest. He's just over fifty, I believe. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's fucked up, but it's it's nice to like uh, reminisce on on the good times that we've had with these guys. And I want to touch on one more with Joey Glees before we split because I know. Uh, it was one that was very important to him talking to him about it and something that he really did want to continue doing. And that was fireball foreman, which was, uh, he, he wanted to be, he never wanted like 
uh, glam and glory, you know, as a wrestler. He, wanted, he liked the old school wrestling. He, he, he loved to be to, an old school wrestler. He wanted to be an old school job guy. Yeah. And have kind of extended squashes as this character. And that's, he just started kind of getting a full-time taste of that, I would say, in the year before he passed. Maybe a little more. Yeah, he was, uh, I think he had done a bunch of matches for VCW. Wrestling wise, he did a bunch of the fair runs for Larry. Yep. Um, he'd actually had to go quite a few matches that last year. Scout Hegan Fair. Yeah. Yeah. He had quite a few matches, and people were actually wanting to wrestle him, which was, and which is it's ironic, ironic because like he thought he could never do it, and then he is. Yeah. I just think I think because maybe because of refereeing, because he in refereeing, you don't really realize it, you got to move around a lot. So I think he just worked out his ankle enough. I think that it was strong enough that he could. Do this stuff, and he had great cardio. Yeah, know, being, yeah. being someone who was in the ring so much, and considering his dietary habits, <laughs> his, his addiction to dudes, tandy cakes. I'm fucking that glad nature. that you said that because every <laughs> monster Joey, energy drinks. <laughs> any any time for the first couple years, of IWE. Because it's funny we're talking about this. Captain and Joey Gleets were two of my typical riding partners because. Uh, Roadblock would typically have to work before an event. So if it was South, I would usually be the one picking up Joey Gleets. Uh, it was either usually me or the whatever Primer's car was if he wasn't with me. I had always drop him off with the ring. Yes. And, uh, but if I, if I was ever picking him up, we would always have to stop. And this is what got me about Joey Gleets. The dude fucking worked at a Circle K or something of that nature, right? I think that's all he ate. He, he worked worked at a Circle K and would get out of work at like 6 a.m. that morning. I'd probably be there to pick him up by fucking noontime, 1 o'clock. Uh, probably earlier, actually, depending on where it was. Yeah. Yet every time, hey, can we stop at the Circle K? I'm like, didn't you just fucking leave? He's like, yeah, I got to get my pre-show ritual. Pre-show ritual always getting a fucking honey bun honey and a monster bun and energy, monster. <laughs> and he would fucking yeah. kick out his uh, <laughs> kick out his lawn chair in the locker room and chow down before the. Oh other. yeah, what a chair. what a bad combination! I can't oh. even imagine drinking a monster energy with my fucking honey bun. Uh, that's how he did it, man. He loved that. Stuff. He loved that. that shit. And, um, oh, I remember two other things about Joey. Uh, one of them was we're on the bath. Forget what show it was from. But we're on our way back from a show, and this is when they were doing all the construction on the highway. Yep. And there was like miles and miles and miles of those orange barrels. Mm-hmm. And I literally, I felt like I had been driving for an hour, and all I saw was orange barrels. And I was just like, I remember us talking, because every time we'd see an orange barrel, we start cussing out the orange barrels. And we're like, we know where the budget is in this state with the orange barrels, because there's miles and miles and miles of orange barrels. <laughs> I'm like, fuck these orange barrels. I'm so pissed. Like, I, mean, we were just, I was just so wound up. I remember being so tired and wound up. We were just flipping off the orange barrels. getting so mad. He was a good dude. Um, a lot of trips. Um, from I remember the South Portland ones the most too because I always had to pick them up and bring them back because no one would want to pick them up yeah. <laughs> um, or no one could pick them up but uh, a lot of trips oh trips he had to like sit in the back of the ring truck oh, he didn't have enough room that's he'd be worst. out in the back sitting in the back we'd have both set up for him but he'd be sitting in the back cramped in there he'd be like Senor where's my bowl of cereal <laughs> I'm like stop that but, uh, yeah, I'm miss him. Good times. Yeah. Um, good times all around with all three of these guys. I'm happy that we got the chance to talk about it because 
Uh, it's just like I, I, I don't want the the memories and the stories and the the stories in wrestling specifically for these guys to get lost in the shuffle. You know what I mean? There's oh, so, yeah. sure. so much going on, and I think uh, especially to the main wrestling scene, like I said at the beginning, this is kind of a departure from what we typically do on the Limitless podcast, but like I, I, I do really want to focus on, especially with Limitless as a whole, just kind of take, taking a step into um, the past history of main wrestling and uh, continuing to kind of make that prevalent even in today's uh, nature with so much new stuff coming out. Like I think it's important that we take a step back and kind of look at uh, the paths that were blazed before we were here today. And especially with people who were fucking really important to us and a lot of people who I think will listen to this podcast. So For sure. Well, this one, I, I feel like this... I know this is not your normal podcast, uh, but I feel like this stuff was... It's, this was good because I feel like people... A lot of people didn't understand how important these people were to yeah. us. And, and now they get to meet. Like, we have these stories. We have life experiences that we'll never... They'll never understand. Right. But now they get some idea of what we went through with people that were really close to us. For sure. Uh, I appreciate you being on. Yeah, no problem. Uh, let's do this thank again sometime. Me. Sure. And uh, Yeah, because I got some questions for you. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Vacation Land Cup. Where was the fat kid right here, huh? Whoa. Huh? Oh, we're hey. going to leave that for another podcast, huh? We got to make him come back for something. Oh, you, yeah, yeah, I knew you were going to Got to make him come back for yeah. something. Yeah, mm-hmm, uh-huh, mm-hmm. Thank you guys for listening here today. Uh, as always, find us on social media, LimitlessWrestling.com, Facebook.com slash LimitlessWrestling, YouTube.com slash LimitlessWrestling, at LWMain on Twitter. And Eric, where can we uh, find you on the interweb? Oh, on the interwebs. Well, you can hit me up on the Instagrams or the Twitters at Old School EJ, all lowercase, one word. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Just use my shoot name, Eric Johnson. Hey, what do you know? Um, yeah, that's about where you can find me. If you need to get some of my gear, you can get it at ProWrestlingTees.com. Slash Eric Johnson. Old school jiving Jimmy Capone shirt on there. Yeah, I thought you were getting one of those. I'm getting one. I'm yeah, getting yeah. One. I thought I'd be on vacation land cut too. What's going right. happen first? All right. Ah! First podcast of 2021 <laughs> in the books. Uh, we'll have Eric Johnson again real soon, and we will see you probably next week for another edition of the Limitless Wrestling Podcast.